It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Well, after five weeks off, MotoGP has finally returned from the summer break. And we're in Austria for the first of a doubleheader around the Red Bull ring. And I reckon this will be a short one because not, not a lot happened, did it? Uh, except, um, well, everything happened, actually, quite frankly. Even before the weekend track action kicked off, we had it all. To delve into it all is myself, Harry Benjamin, Keith Ewan and Pete McLaren, as always. I think the place we have to start off first with is the news uh, that after 26 seasons, 115 Grand Prix victories, 89 of those coming from the Premier Class, nine-time MotoGP world champion Valentino Rossi will be retiring at the end of this season. Keith, let's come to you first. We kind of saw this coming, really, didn't we? But also, that doesn't make it any more of a, of a poignant and sad day, really, because he is MotoGP. He put it on the map. We all have a lot to thank Valentino for. I mean, he's a he's a mega personality. You see, if you're as old and as long as a tooth as I am, you remember Barry Sheen and the likes of. I even remember seeing Mike Hailwood at Donington Park when he came back. I mean, there are these icons through our sport that that we can remember really with with huge love. And I mean, Valentino has been the top one of all. I think really. I mean, he he is the goat, the greatest of all time. You know, results wise, I don't think you can ever. Uh, mix up your eras. I think uh, you know an era should be, be held in its own era, not you know Mike Hale was the best because of this, or you know Agostini was the best because of that. I think that you, you've got to really look at the era that he's racing in. And, and Valentino, the last two or three years, he's racing in probably one of the toughest eras there's ever been. The toughest era there's ever been. I don't think I can even qualify that. I think it is the toughest it's ever been across the board in depth. You know, from a machinery point of view, from a racer point of view, from a preparation point of view. This is the toughest MotoGP, the toughest premier class motorcycle racing era that there's ever been. And Valentino's 42 years old. Um, it was the right decision. It came at the right time. Um, I would love it to be he finishes a year with, with, with you know, some great result somewhere during the course of the year. If it rains and he gets an opportunity in the next, what, eight or nine Grand Prix, however many there are left for us by the uh, time the pandemic's finished with us. But when I say that we owe a lot to Valentino, he has made the sport global in its appeal across nations, across continents. You know, he's, he's a bit like the, the, the David Beckham, the Manchester United, whatever you want to call it, of our sport. Everybody knows who Valentino Rossi is. Branding. You, only have to, you, know, you can drive through my town here, Northampton, where I am at the moment, you know, and you will come across in your trip across town 
a little yellow 46 in the corner of you know the, the triumph herald with a 90 year old bloke driving it or or, or or mr builder's van you know he just has that appeal the big worry was that he was going to hurt himself you know trying i mean he did he deserve a 10th uh, world championship deserve doesn't work you know like i've heard that he deserved it but no nah, it is what it is you know should he have won a 10th world championship yes he probably should but you can go back to the time when nicky hayden pipped him after a mistake that he made there are other times that the valentino lost championships when he should have won them seven motor gp world championships one two five you know 250 you know all the motorbikes that have been in the premier class across all the changes he's ridden from 500 cc two strokes right to where we are now with a thousand cc four strokes yeah the bloke has been phenomenal and there isn't anybody in the paddock who doesn't respect him um, the bad things that he's brought to the sport, uh, for me, is tribalism. I think the Yellow Army and the like, I find wrong in sport generally. I think that, you know, you can be a fan of the sport. You don't have to be against everyone else just because you're a fan of Valentino. But it did seem to develop in that situation. And of course, reached ahead when you had the red colours of the 93 and Mark Marquez. You know, I'm thinking of 2015 when they had their coming together in Sepang. Um, which is a great shame um, because I think the sport is better than that and bigger than one person, um, although it didn't look like it was for some time. Valentino was bigger than the sport for a long time, but I think it's come back into context now, and I think that our sport is is the biggest thing. There's no one individual at the moment that, that, that heads off the quality of our sport. And I think we've you, you've said it before. In fact, actually, that you know all the other riders have Valentino Rossi to thank because that's they get paid the big bucks now because he was there putting it on the map and making it bigger and bigger every single year he was there. And in fact, everybody had something to say about the retirement and his announcement, didn't they? Even even past bitter rivals had something good to say. My favourite, Max Biaggi who finally explained the little dust-up and the pushing and shoving on the podium back in Barcelona some time ago, I think it was, was it, in Barcelona? And then, of course, Casey Stoner. I thought Casey Stoner's words were very gracious indeed, which, of course, underlines what I've always said about Casey Stoner. He is a good bloke, as well as one of the best-ever motorcycle racers there's ever been. Um, basically, Casey Stoner is his own man, says what's in his head, and this week, in his head, was all the accolades that he felt about Valentino Rossi, which I thought was... It was very gracious. But Max Biaggi was the one I thought we might see some fireworks. But even Max was very kind as well in the, in the, the way that he spoke about um, Valentino. And, and that's just so telling, isn't it, Pete? And also, though, there was a rumour that maybe he might cling on to another year with his own team, of course, VR46, fully debuting next year. He did bring that up. He said it was a possibility, but in the end, he decided it wasn't worth the risk. One of the surprises about this announcement was that they did such a good job of just stopping any leaks. You know, even as he walked into that room, it was pretty much 50-50 split. You can imagine the, the phones of all the journalists are lighting up with WhatsApp chats of he's going to do this, he's going to do that. And honestly, people didn't know, you know. And and, and as he was stood there, um, the Ducati, some Ducati management came in. And so, of course, then people, oh, well, maybe, you know, it's to announce that it, a Ducati deal. Now, of course, it turns out they were just there out of respect to Rossi, if you like. But you know, people literally didn't know which way this was going to go right up to the moment when, um, you know, he said this will be, you know, the end of this season. Um, you know, fa fantastic job to do that. I think the overwhelming thing for me generally was just how it looked like it was a weight off his shoulders almost. You know, sometimes these retirement announcements can be quite sad, somber, you know, tearful events, if you like. 
And, and it didn't look like that. You know, he, from the moment it started and he made a bit of a joke about, you know, being embarrassed that he had, you know, sat up there on his own. He needed a table or something. And it was kind of that, that, that old Rossi with the sort of the, the, the charm and the charisma from, from all that made him help make him so famous. You know, it looked like that again, which we haven't seen that much this year in his normal media debriefs, I have to say, because it's, it's been such a sort of a, a frustrating and disappointing year. So, yeah, I think, and that really showed that it is the right time, as Keith said, you know, it shows that he's kind of, he's accepts that decision that he's made and, and he's not doing it in the sense that he feels somehow forced to retire or, or anything else. You know, this is what he believes is the right thing to do at the right time. Um, he said, yeah, he could have gone on. He had the chance. He joked that, you know, the salary would have been good with his own team because he talked with himself about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he said, look, in, in the modern MotoGP era, no matter which bike you change, if, you, if you're not, you know, staying with the same bike, you need, you need two, two or three years. To really get used to that bike and so it, that you know that was just too much of a commitment at this stage of his you know his life his career if it was just one more year if it was the same bike well maybe that you know maybe who knows but that was why he, he opted not to go with his own team talking about the press side of it the reason why it was probably kept as quiet as he did you remember the debacle was it Le Mans when uh, the Jerry Burgess situation was when he we basically was firing his crew chief and it all got out there in a massively messy, disrespectful, horrible way. And uh, they kind of had to cover that up. I think he might have been pretty mindful of the fact that the, the mess that they made PR-wise of that. Um, and again, pictures of him and his girlfriend on his new yacht. You know, once you've, once you've laid out um, and you, you know, on your boat, nice and calm, you're right about how he looked in the press conference. Valentino's face can look like a 30-year-old or a 50-year-old, depending on the pressure. <laughs> uh, he, he definitely has one of those faces that you look in the back of the garage sometimes and you think, God, oh, look at him. And then another day when things are going well, he looks 10 years younger. Well, at that press conference, Pete, you're right, he looked 10 years younger. He looked very relaxed, very calm. It was just a, a little hint that, of emotion there. You could just see it in the corner of his eye at one particular point, I remember thinking. I thought Steve Day, who is MotoGP.com, commentator i mean and he handles the press conference i thought steve day was very good how he collected valentino up and i thought the the normally excruciating questions that the general press ask at those kind of things were quite good as well i thought it was quite a even simon patterson asked a very very good question i thought everyone dealt with the whole thing very respectfully uh, there are a lot of riders a lot of team managers as you say pete that crushed into the room to just see what is a historical announcement. The, the biggest man in our sport will not be a MotoGP rider after the end of this year. And can you imagine him going around to every Grand Prix on the sidelines? I can imagine him going rallying. I can imagine him, you know, I can't imagine him packing in competitive sport. Whether he fits that round his MotoGP commitments or whether MotoGP commitments get fitted around his his rallying aspirations or, or car racing aspirations, you know, was it Domenicali who said that, that they, you know, virtually offered him a deal at one point to, to, to drive for them, the Ferrari. He, test, I mean, he that, tested, uh, I think, yeah, a Sauber and F1 and, car. And he knocked them back for motorcycle racing. And that's a big deal, you know, like Valentino basically stayed with bikes because he loves motorbikes. He loves that whole rush that you get with a bike. Um, and interesting as well that, that, in the back of his mind when he did that press conference on Thursday, 
will have been what could have happened a year ago at the same track when you know if you've got 160 kilos of, of flying motorcycle going past your your right ear hole um, and he got away everyone got away hugely um, with the grace of god in that situation i'm fairly sure without any injury um, so there are, there, are, there are things that go through your mind as a rider that's close to the point of retiring and that's the reason why there's no going back once you've kind of reached that decision some deny it for a while but i think rossi has handled it as you would expect absolutely superbly well well, it, it was a, a momentous day, a momentous weekend. It made all the headlines, of course, globally. And that's you can, that's just how you can see how much of an impact he had. You wait five weeks of the summer break for all these announcements. And they all come at once, don't they? Just before the weekend. Because as well as this, which arguably <laughs> overshadowed everything, naturally, uh, we did get another rider announcement as well. Uh, a little later on in in the weekend. In fact, in one of the sessions uh, with both, obviously, Tech 3 KTM riders, or we all knew that one of them would definitely be out in Petrucci and Laquona because obviously Remy Gardner has already got one seat. Where would the other seat go? And it has been announced that Ralph Fernandez will be making the step up. So uh, Tech 3 are saying goodbye to Petrucci and Laquona. They're both out the door. But Keith, I mean, the way they found out, obviously they knew, but the way it was announced was not particularly uh, in the most sporting of ways, I thought. It's funny, I've, I've been listening and reading all of the, the, the commentary across the, the globe, if you like, for, for this particular announcement. It's KTM. They're ruthless. Look what happened with Zarco. When Zarco quite graciously said, I'll leave at the end of the year because I'm not really getting on with the bike, but I'm giving you good notice now. And KTM basically said, okay, now Bye. you're gone. Uh, I think KTM are quite a ruthless bunch behind the scenes anyway. I think that it was disrespectful. FP4, hang on a second. There's guys out there on 200 mile an hour missiles or, or, that need their head fully on what they're doing. They need to be focused on what they're doing. They don't want to interfere with by some PR cock-up that's been made. And, and whatever the reasoning behind it, it was wrong to do it in that situation. You can't tell me that it made any difference to any contract at all that they had to announce it there and then. That's just bullshit if anybody says that. You know, the fact is, is that deal was done. It didn't need announcing in FP4. That is for certain. If they were going to announce it, it should have been on the Thursday or it should have been on the Sunday night after the event or midweek this week between the two Austrian rounds. Whatever you say, I would imagine that Hervé Poncherel, and I haven't spoken to Hervé, so I don't know this for sure, but knowing the man well, Hervé Poncherel and Tech 3 will be furious with the way it's been handled because that is so not Hervé Poncherel. He's a real team man. He's a real rider man. Um, and I just can't see the Frenchman allowing anything like it. didn't come from him. It had got to come from KTM. Um, KTM, they're the factory. They're the suppliers. They might be, and Pete will correct me on this, they probably hold the contracts for the two KTM riders anyway, Petrucci and Ica Laquona. Um, so it's down to KTM. Tech 3, basically, the conduit that, that KTM are working through in an independent team. And so it's up to them when they make the press announcement. I think it was appallingly badly done <laughs> funny how we're talking off the back of um valentino rossi where he got it absolutely bang on yeah um on this occasion and ktm completely made a pig's ear of it but there you go sometimes it goes that way well that's the thing isn't it pete but of course we all you know it was speculated wasn't it that ralph fernandez was hotly tipped but from sort of the rumblings and the, the outpouring of it it seems like it wasn't his 
his priority to make the step up to MotoGP next season? In fact, it seems like he didn't want to be rushed. And a lot of the rumours have that KTM just needed to lock him down. And the only way to do that was to promote him perhaps a bit earlier than everyone had planned. Because a lot of other teams and manufacturers were sniffing about the second place man in the Moto2 Championship. This is it. It seems like KTM were definitely rattled by something. Basically, you know, and, and because of that, they rushed out this announcement. Now, as Keith says, that, that's no real excuse, really. I mean, it was during FP4. They could have waited 30 minutes and the track activities for the day would have been done. So, I mean, surely 30 minutes wouldn't have made much difference, would it? But still, it, it seems like Pitbyra's explanation on the Sunday morning to Simon Crafar was that, you know, the, the other, ma other manufacturers have been, I think he used the words, ripping, ripping at the shirt of, of Raul. Now, it seems like, from what we hear, that certainly, well, Aprilia, but more Yamaha, as has been rumoured that they've been pursuing Fernandez, that they, they really didn't stop pursuing him. You know, they, they really have been trying very hard and they've been offering extremely long-term deals. Uh, I've heard numbers of five or six years. Now, clearly, KTM felt. Now, you might say, well, surely the contract was watertight, in which case, why worry about that? But then KTM were clearly worried enough to say, look, let's put this out there and make it public, presumably to just warn off the other, the other factories. Now, uh, you, you might say, well, why then, why not leave Raul in Moto2 if that's maybe what he wanted, which is sort of the impression that he's given to, to Spanish TV. But it seems like maybe if they didn't take him for MotoGP, it might just leave a bit of a crack in his contract. Um, where someone else could could creep in in some way. It just reminded me of, you know, the famous quote, the, the Formula One quote with uh, um, Eddie Jordan, Ron Dennis, you know, when Eddie lost Michael Schumacher to, to Benetton at the start of his career. You know, they, he thought he had a contract. Benetton were able to get Schumacher. And Ron Dennis comes up to Eddie Jordan in pit lane and says, welcome to the Piranha Club. <laughs> and I think it was, it just had that feeling about it. You know, KTM had a contract, but that doesn't stop the other factories going, yeah, but what's in the contract? Is it watertight? Is there some way that, you know, because just a contract on its own is not enough. And uh, so, yeah, clearly they were they were rattled into rushing it out. We don't know why. And, and so they've, they've clearly sort of put a marker there and gone, look, he's with us next year in MotoGP. So leave him alone. Now, is that the end of the story? We'll have to see. Um, certainly from Petrucci's side, you know, Petrucci's a very amiable, likable chap. He, you know, I, I was at his debrief straight after that, that session, the qualifying session. And, you know, he, he wasn't ranting. He wasn't, you know, banging his fists on the table. He was still sort of smiling and his usual self. But you could see he was clearly stung by the way it had happened. You know, he spoke about people not answering the phone to him, you know, and things like that. So he knew, well, he wasn't going to be part of their future plans. But he certainly said he was, he was surprised by the behavior of some people. And, um, you know, he, at the same time, he said, look, if I was in KTM's shoes, I would have signed Raul. So he, you know, he understood the decision, but he certainly wasn't happy with the way it had happened and the way it had been communicated. See this all the time, though. Contracts, contracts aren't that good from a legal point of view. They're fantastic. From a, uh, from a personal point of view, you can get out of them if you want to get out of them. And, uh, and you know, who's going to force you to ride at 100% if you're not happy? Teams know that if a rider's not happy, he's not going to ride at 100%. It's a, it's a, it's a, self-serving situation it will go downhill one way or another <laughs> look at maverick vinales he's jumped the yamaha contract at the moment and he's got nowhere to go still there's no announcements there aprilia are still casting their their hook here there and everywhere at the moment at other riders they're still looking at other riders all the time maverick vinales <laughs> unlucky this weekend i mean the first part before he got red flagged i know we'll probably talk about it in a moment but um really really having to start from pit lane in the end was a disaster mm -hmm. for him 
at a time when he really needs to get his stock value back up again. You know, he needs to prove to everybody that he is the man that he once was when it comes to racing a MotoGP bike. But contracts, seen them all the time. You know, people chipping money off of riders, you know, riders not fulfilling certain clauses within their contract, so losing out on huge amounts of cash, you know, not being paid for bonuses, seen it all. There's one particular uh, team owner that, that we know very well, but I won't mention, but, you know, when you do a deal with him, quite often it's a 12-month deal, but you're only going to guarantee getting paid for 10 months because pretty much he's not going to pay the last two months if he doesn't like you or you haven't performed. And that's how it is. It's the world that we live in. It is the Piranha Club. You're absolutely right. And this is the two-wheeled version of it. It really certainly is. Well, that is uh, Petrucci and Lequona out the door. Just on Lequona last year as well. Obviously, he's still quite young. He wants to stay in MotoGP if he can. There's been rumours about possibly going back to Moto2. He doesn't want to do that, whereas Petrucci seems like he could do a world superbike switch. What about Lequona next? Because he is still still young. Well, let's let's deal with Petrucci first, then Lequona. I mean, Petrucci's, you know, everyone's been talking about him going across the world superbikes, but of course, Scott Redding's just fired a massive great gunshot across his bowels because Redding winning the, the final race from Most in where they've been racing this weekend. Um, you know, Ducati have some horrible choices to have to make. If they're going to bring someone like Petrucci in, you know, who's, who's not going to be there? Uh, will the team that, that Petrucci goes to be supported by the factory? It will need to be. Um, Will Petrucci perform? You know, this is the problem at the moment. When you look at where he's just come from in, in this weekend's racing, he's, you know, back at the back of the field again. I mean, it's, it's, when you invest in somebody like Petrucci, somebody like Vinales that have been race winners, you know, if they're off form, if they are down, if they are difficult to produce the absolute fine, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? circumstances that they need to go fast if you've got a rider that's just too difficult to tune a team to get him to go quick you know they've got such a lot of choices at the moment that they can look at that will perform in any given set of circumstances you know if you've got to have all the ducks in a row every time for the likes of Vinales or for the likes of Petrucci for them to perform and one duck is slightly skew with and he won't perform then you would invest probably your millions in a younger rider that um, carries on trying and carries on performing even when things aren't quite 100% right for them. Tricky, tricky job now with everything being as close as it is. And it doesn't matter if it's Moto3, Moto2 or MotoGP. Um, the racing, you know, when you consider where we are with this, I mean, hats off to Dorna and in MotoGP circumstances, the manufacturers who work with Dorna to produce the rules that they produce. You know, we have never been in a better position. An independent team wins a Grand Prix with a rookie. You know, effectively, an independent team is a privateer. If you go back to my day, that's what you considered to be a privateer. It's a private team. Um, obviously, it moved on a bit when factories got involved in private private teams and, and offering up motorcycles that are a little bit more factory than the, the, the over-the-counter the, over the ones that, that, that you perhaps could ride back in the day. Um, now, they're all factory teams, effectively, but it's still an independent team. And with that, you lose out on data engineers, perhaps, personnel. You've got less people usually that are working on those bikes and all the stuff that's going on back at the factory. It's going to be very interesting to see uh, whether those teams are going to be able to pick up the pace. I love these back-to-backs because it's never quite as simple as, you, you know, we've had a winner this week, Jorge Martin from Pole, 
brilliant. Will he do it again next week? I don't think so, because that's what happens. You know, everyone's going to be now looking through the data, and that's where the factory teams really score, the top end. They'll be looking through that data and looking for all the fine detail, trying to get it sorted out for next weekend. And we'll, we're likely to see a, a completely different result. Mm. Well, that will certainly... Of course, well, that's certainly come in handy when uh, we get to our predictions, uh, which uh, we were all terrible at this week. Um, when... <laughs> hey, I got the third place, man. <laughs> you got third place, man. But as I said off air, gets you no points, I'm afraid. Um, so uh, let's. Uh, well, that's the. But those are the big announcements uh, before before the racing action even got underway. And how long? We're twenty minutes in, and uh, <laughs> now should we talk about the race? Uh, so we were, of course, in Austria. This was the Styrian Grand Prix. And as you say there, uh, Keith, it was Jorge Martin scored his second ever pole position uh, after Quartararo had his lap time deleted. Uh, now, we had a, the first race start, uh, which uh, saw Bagnaia take an early lead, actually, from the pole sitter. And then there was a bit of jostling in the back. A couple of laps went by, and then we had this quite huge scary crash on the face of it uh, which brought out a red flag for the incident between Danny Pedrosa and uh, Lorenzo Savadori at turn three Pedrosa was around 12th I think he fell on the exit of the hairpin and then Savadori blind unsighted from way back hit the KTM um, on its side luckily Pedrosa unhurt Savadori looked visibly injured and, and has sustained some injuries but could have been i think they said this on commentary a lot lot worse he was talking to the marshals but then that huge fire that broke out caused by a ruptured fuel tank keith i don't think i've seen anything quite that um severe in recent moto gp times in terms of the flames that were there everything for you is recent harry because you're young that is also true <laughs> <laughs> but you know on the face of it it was those and they, those flames wouldn't go out either for a good while well they don't do they i mean it's it's uh, you know the fuel is uh, is flammable and and it's difficult to, <laughs> if you haven't got kind of foam to uh, squirt all over it <laughs> you know when you're trying to deal can, with can one... we can we clip that up fuel is flammable i like that yeah, yeah. <laughs> it comes with that little triangle on the box <laughs> and uh, the fact is, is that the, 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 the marshals at Trackside have got plenty of fire extinguishers. But when you've got that amount of liquid early on in a race, you know, we are talking about a lot of fuel on board. And clearly it ruptured the tank fully. So the whole lot was, you know, gushing down the track. And it doesn't, it, it kind of burnt really gently, I thought. You know, once it's out in the, once it's out in the atmosphere, and it's already a light. You don't get that big woof effect, do you? and sucking the oxygen out of the air. It just spread itself down the track and leaked accordingly. And, of course, every time they chased it down the track and put it out where the fire extinguisher was, it was so spread out, it just caught back a light again. Um, I mean, the accident brought out all the trolls, the track trolls, as I like to call them. You know, everyone at the moment, a fair you know, proportion, I think, of riders are a little bit up in arms about the Red Bull ring. There are certain things about the Red Bull ring, particularly in the wet, that they don't like. The place really is like glass when it rains. And you, you get those you know, straight up front brake face plant type crashes at the Red Bull ring, which, which need to be looked at. There are a couple of blind exits on corners turn one is a good one. Um, but Danny Pedrosa's crash, it's got nothing to do with the track. I'm absolutely, it just annoys the hell out of me when people use the platform to start castigating the track and the track owners in that you know Pedrosa fell down a rider that was in the back of the 
the bunch was unsighted, as you say, Harry, quite rightly. By the time the, the waves have parted and you've got a motorbike in front of you, the same thing happened out of turn one, if you remember, going back to, was it Happy Sirene? That had that mid, with Bacchanini's bike, I think, hit it amidships. Because the bike was laying in the track, by the time he saw it, because everyone else parted and went around it, and he's the next in line to hit it amidships. And the same thing happened here. You cannot blame the track for that. But there seems to be, you know, certain commentators that seem to be very keen to, to jump on this bandwagon of these tracks that aren't safe. You know, I don't, I don't go with that. I know again, and you know, there are, there will be the very same commentators that say, well, he's an old bloke. He's used to it back in the eighties and all the rest of it. Yeah, you're right. But I've got a good handle on what's going on with most racetracks. And yes, there are improvements always to be made. Turn three is a kind of corner that can cause problems. You're nearly 200 mile an hour approaching it on the left-hand side of the tyre when you want to make that braking manoeuvre. We saw what happened when uh, Zarco tagged the back of a bike and we had that massive crash, you know, last time at turn three. And I think that that kind of crash where bikes can go across the corner and wipe out people that are turning the corner, you look round racetracks and see how many of them there are. A lot. You know, you're not going to go racing if you're going to rule all of that out everywhere. You make it as safe as you possibly can. Of course you do. And the A1, A1 ring, <laughs> the Red Bull ring. <laughs> There's your age. Formerly the A1 ring. Um, Osterite ring if you want to go about that far as well. Um, yes, I think they do need to make some improvements. And I think they probably will have to by next year. Because I think the Safety Commission on a Friday night will be um, pretty well briefed by riders uh, about how unhappy they are that they haven't either straightened that corner out or done something with it to to make it a little bit more safe. But I, it will happen, and they should have done something for this year. They didn't. And that I think what that tends to do is it winds the riders up. We're not being taken seriously. They're not taking our safety seriously. If it had rained heavily there today, we could have ended up with a Monday race day because I think there would have been, like Silverstone, a rider strike. I hate the word strike. A rider protest of some kind. Um, I think we may have ended up racing on a Monday, which they were prepped for. Um, but thankfully, the rain stayed away and it didn't happen. Maybe well, next I mean, week. Pete, well, maybe. But Pete, you spoke to a couple of the riders at post-race as well, and there were a couple that were, you know, up in arms and did make their thoughts clear on the safety issues that they found. What did you hear from, from their riders themselves? Generally, you, you have to say exactly as Keith said. Most of them said that that accident could happen at any track. You know, you can't pin that as a specific, you know, incident for the Red Bull ring. More generally, a lot of the riders are concerned about turn three. Um, you know, the walls are too close, etc. They they did sort of put that sort of bit of a barrier, a bit of a kicker, if you like, on the end of the barrier to try and stop the bikes flying over, as we saw last year. It does sound like for next year that that section will be changed in some way. I don't think we know exactly what they're going to do yet, but it, I'm not sure why it's taken you know, this long, but it seems like it was always planned that it will be changed for next year. So that will be the main area of, area of concern, hopefully sort of improved. In, in general, the, the complaints are really that some of the walls are too close that, and that the track is not designed for bikes. That's, that's another one. But, but by and large, you know, apart from that turn three area, turn one, maybe as well a bit, but it's certainly not, you know, it's not, it's, it's a Formula One homologated track. I mean, it, it's not unsafe, 
you, you know, it's not a, it's certainly not like the old version, if you like. Some, uh, well, Valentino Rossi actually was asked, do you think they should go back up the hill and over, as, as Keith might know, you know, and, and do the old version instead of going as they do now and not onto turn three? And he said, well, it'd be great, but it'd be even more dangerous, you know, so <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. But yeah, that, that, that was sort of where the, you know, Cal Crutch, though, is he, you know, he, he doesn't like the track, especially in the wet, but even he said, look, Pajosa's accident, it was just one of those things. It can happen anywhere where you've got, you know, where, where riders are unsighted because of the, the terrain, if you like. So, so yeah. Yeah, well, um, there, that did cause that accident, a 30-minute red flag, and then they did get going again, and Pedrosa was able to use uh, the spare bike as well, um, and, but uh, Savadori uh, did not take any further part in that. They went back to their restart original grid positions, which helped some people, didn't help some others, uh, and actually, we'll just come on to what you alluded to earlier, that, uh, especially for Maverick Vinales. It just went from bad to worse, didn't it, Keith? Didn't get off the line for the second restart, went to the pit lane. Then there was a whole kerfuffle about has he gone too far out of the pit entry? Where's he supposed to go from? He went backwards a bit. No, he was fine. Then he got going. He was last. And, well, then, then the day's a bit of a write-off, wasn't it? I think when we touch on the subject we do and say how close racing is, if you're starting from pit lane in a MotoGP race, you're pretty sure that you're not going to be doing any good. Um, you can minimise the, the, the problem and you might score a few points, but you're going to need to be absolutely... It was 27 laps compared with the 28 it was originally supposed to be, so you were going to be running out of tyres by the end of it anyway. Um, you know, he stalled it on the line effectively. They pulled him off to the side of the track. He had to go into pit lane, restarted, followed round behind the pace car. He, his place to start was going to be in pit lane. I mean, he got no choice. That was... That was where it had to be. But you're right. I think there was a green light at the end of pit lane and he rode through it, but realised that he shouldn't have ridden through it. And so rolled back down the hill backwards, back into a position, which was really good thinking by Maverick. Um, but it ruined his race. Uh, and it was a great shame for Yamaha in that situation um, because, you know, that was done. And he was looking so good in those first three laps before the red flag. Um, the reason, obviously, that they went to, to a full race distance in the same grid because they hadn't done three three full laps. So, therefore, um, they go back to the original grid positions and start from the original places, which allowed Danny Pedrosa, the cause of the accident, to restart. And it would have been Salvador if he hadn't been hurt or, or if he'd had the right bike available in the second, second bike ready and available. Um, but Pedrosa, he was brilliant all week. Oh, okay, it's a Red Bull ring. It's a Red Bull track. It's a KTM. It's an Austrian racetrack. He, he probably knows it quite well, but... The big question was, you know, it's all very well doing a lot of mileage in testing. I think we touched on this subject in previous pods. You know, the fact of the matter is, <laughs> it's cutthroat out there. You know, everyone is going to be right on it all of the time. And Danny wasn't race fit, that's for sure. He might be physically fit, but race fit is a completely different thing. Um, I think he had a brilliant day. Top 10, I think, again, we said it last week, top 10 for either he or Crutchlow, particularly for, for Crutchlow, because he, he's been long out of it and hasn't done any mileage on the MR. Uh, let alone the old Yamaha that he was having to ride for this one, Morbid Ellis bike. Um, so Danny Petrosa, great result for him, top 10 points. Um, and he'll get better now he's he's had that little extra ride. And when we get to next weekend, he'd be one of the ones I'd expect to improve. Mm. And Pete, with that bike change as well, because he had to make a few changes because it was set up for the wet weather, wasn't it? The, the spare bike that he was lucky enough to be able to restart the race with. That's right, Harry. Yeah, he, he was able to start the race, but they had to then rush because the clouds were looking pretty threatening. So everyone was ready 
have their spare bike set up for the wet, so they then have to quickly change it to the dry. It sounds like even without that, that that Danny preferred the original bike. That there was he's you always do. The, <laughs> okay, yeah. So there was that as well, and so they they were all in a bit of a rush. I think he might even have not even used the whole shot device for the second start, just because it was so frantic of you know get everything ready, right? Get out there, off you go. Um, as far as the cause of the accident, his accident in the first race, he actually. He couldn't really, he wasn't sure what happened. He said he just, he turned in and then it, as he went to pick the bike up, it just stayed down, as he said, and it sort of spun around and, and that was that. So he didn't really understand what had, had happened there. He was using the hard front tire. He said maybe that was, you know, maybe that was an issue, but wasn't exactly sure why. He admitted he was pretty shocked um, by it all, as you can imagine, having been out of racing for three years and that's your, that's your comeback. But yeah. as Keith said, to put all of that to one side on, on the spare bike and then still finish 10th, okay, it was 11th and then Banyai got a penalty after the race, but even so, um, you know, and it wasn't a race where a lot of riders in front of him retired. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of retirements in Red Bull Ring races in the past. That didn't really ha only Jack Miller actually, I think, was in front of him when he retired. So yeah, it was a, it was a great job. I mean, D Danny said he was, you know, he felt really welcome. He enjoyed being back. Um, he was asked what he'd learned, and he said he the thing that stood out. One of the things that stood out was that you really have to qualify well. He said, you know, that's probably fifty percent of it now. And he said that's something that he never really liked. You know, he liked to work on a bike for the race. But he said, now you've got to always be doing quick laps, you know, to get through to, to qualifying to directly and et cetera, et cetera. So he said he didn't, you know, but he, he thinks that's a really crucial part of it now. Um, and, and looking at Brad Binder, his KTM colleague who, who rode from whatever it was, about 16th to 4th. I mean, if Brad Binder could qualify well, you know, he, he's got the speed to be up there, well, certainly on the podium, but, but probably winning races. But he's got to sort the qualifying. Well, you said something twice in that uh, conversation that uh, made note of. I mean, whole shot device, qualifying well, difference it makes. Look at Suzuki. They use their holiday time pretty well. We talked about it before the holidays. You know, the shapeshifter, the, the whole shot device, whatever the official name for it at Suzuki is, I don't know. And maybe, just maybe, having Davide Brivio back in the uh, garage just encouraged them a little bit as well. Davide Brivio, obviously, back off of his... You know, he's just had a Formula One win with Esteban Ocon um, for the Alpine team. And there's the guy who won the MotoGP world title with Suzuki. He was associated with Valentino for a long time. Davide Brivio is, is a, you know, one of those godlike technicians, um, crew chiefs. And uh, wanders down the paddock. Suzuki got their whole shot device working. You know, Joanne Mir, big thumbs up from both the boys. Mir used it to the best possible advantage. And here we have Suzuki. I tell you what, you didn't see that. That Suzuki did not look slack in a straight line, did it? They were getting off the corners with the Ducatis. So that the one and only thing that they could really do because they hadn't got one and everyone else had was manufacture that whole shot device. And Suzuki haven't wasted their five weeks, that's for sure. Mm. No, both of them certainly doing better. But Alex Rins, I think, said he actually had some front brake issues. So if they didn't, if he didn't have them, then he might have been right up there as well with with his teammate. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the whole shot device, the, the impressive thing is that the other teams took a few races to, to kind of get it working properly. And yet this was this literally arrived, I think, because I asked Rins on Friday about the whole shot device and, and, and Mia. And they said, well, yeah, it's arriving now. So they were it came in a box to the track and they put it on the bike Friday night and then they used it Saturday morning. 
and immediately it was a benefit. I think there's obviously some fine tuning to do, but still, okay. you know, it, it worked well, literally out of the box. Um, but on the other side of the coin, I mean, we're giving Suzuki a lot of credit quite rightly for that. Is it too late? You know, they're the last manufacturer to do this. You know, Mir is what, 51 points behind. If they'd have, you know, they've had, Alex Rins was the first guy to spot that Ducati were lowering the rear of the bike on the straights when he was, he was racing with Jack Miller at, at Sepang, I think 2019. And he was following him and he was seeing the back of the bike. And he, he said, you know, is, is, the, is the suspension broken? He couldn't understand it. You know, he's seeing this, this bike moving on the straights and he immediately told the team, look what they're up to, you know. So they were the first to spot it and they've ended up being the last to actually get it on the bike. And, you know, it's great that they've done such a good job with it, but you just think if they could have brought it for the start of the year, you know, we're, we're at round 10, you know, Suzuki haven't won a race yet. It's clearly working. It's clearly making a difference, but Mia's got 51 points to try and make up. Yeah, but Rivio said that, um, you know, it's, it is the first round that they've used it and there's still a long way to go because it alters everything. It alters the electronics that's available to them. You know, all the data that they've got for the A1 ring is, well, it's not null and void because it's always useful, but the fact is, is they've got to reapply their thinking. It's going to be very interesting to see where they are at the same track next week because now they've got that full set of data. They will be pouring over that information as to where that they can alter the electronics, it's not wheeling, it's pushing itself forward. There will be lots of things that they can alter now. The power delivery, how much power they can push out now safely without it, you know, sticking it on its, on its end or, or whatever it might be. So that, that, that shapeshifter is, is a major improvement. Everybody should be worried. The only thing that's going to really hold them back is if we have more cancellations of Grand Prix later on in the year. Nine rounds left. Um, you know, we've lost some of the major ones at the end of the year. It depends where we go and how it's going to work. I, I think that's Suzuki. Bearing in mind that we're on a Ducati track. They've won what? Up until this weekend, five of the six previous MotoGP races there. Um, Ducati have got, you know, KTM, okay, they took it this weekend as well. Um, but the fact is, is that Suzuki were there or thereabouts. They were not far away from, from a winning motorcycle. And mm. I would say that's, that must warn a lot of the, you know, on a Ducati track, on a KTM track, watch out. And I just a, a little, you, you reminded me then, Keith, when you, you were saying about that, because Rossi actually mentioned his starts. Now, Yamaha have had the opposite issue. They developed the rear ride height first, and then, they, then they've uh, developed the front. Now, Rossi's been having problems with his starts since they've developed the front hole shot device, because exactly as Keith says, it's changed all the electronics. All of the settings for the start have had to be readjusted to cope with the bike being lower. And he said he didn't like it at the Saxon ring. He didn't like it at Aston. He got bad starts there. He said it was a bit better today, but still, you know, it's not, it's not working perfectly yet. You know, his whole starting system um, because of the change that they've made in, in having that system. So it does definitely mean that they have to do a lot more readjustment of the bikes. Watch this space for next week. Suzuki are going to be right on it. And then when we get to Silverstone, we know what Suzuki's like at Silverstone. It's going to be, it's got, yeah, if he's only pinching a few points here and there, five points here and there, it's going to take a lot to get the 51 back. But, you know, luck has a lot to do with things at the moment. There's no one, again, standing out. You know, Quattararo, okay, he's looked really good. And he's, he's, you know, third place, brilliant. Damage limitation, a track that, you know, perhaps is not the best for the Yamaha previously but um 
they're going to all be eyeing up what Suzuki are capable of. Mm. And Keith, just to double check, what's this track called? <laughs> it could be the Austrike Ring, Zeltweg, <laughs> A1 Ring, or the Red Bull Ring. Take your pick. There we right go. now it's the Red Any Bull Ring. Them. Any one of them. <laughs> oh, well, it, one to watch for sure, and uh, you and a notable mention as well for Brad Binder with a fantastic double overtake right at the end on Nakagami and Zarko to get fourth, which seemingly came out of nowhere. So uh, a good result for him in, in what was a bit of a sort of struggle for KTM, sort of a, a start, a struggling start to the weekend. They managed to salvage that. A pretty decent result as well. Um, I'm going to move on to. A third DNF in a row for Jack Miller, who was right up there leading in a good battle with Jorge Martin and then unfortunately into the gravel. Is that his title hopes over? You, you know, he was still in with a chance, but, it, but is that it done? It's never over till it's over and Jack Miller will keep plugging away at it. I mean, it's unlucky when, you know, that kind of crash. I couldn't see the detail as to why. It might have happened in the way that happened, whether he was just offline, just a, a, a fraction. I haven't gone back over the tape, but, but the end of, yeah, it's one of them ones where you just shrug your shoulders and get on with it. It's, you know, onwards and upwards for next year, uh, for next week, <laughs> or maybe next year, as you're trying to allude to. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, we did, and I, I dare say the expectations were quite high um, with Jack Miller because of last year. I mean, he finished on the podium twice last year, didn't he, at the same track? Um, you would have been expecting him to be at least podium this weekend. So, so dumping it has caused him a major problem. But the same thing can happen next week to some of the guys that are around him. Yes, it's his third non-score of the year already. I think that's, you know, and second in a row as well. So I think yeah, it's, sorry. you could see he was, you know, you know, how frustrated he was with it because as Keith said, it was a nothing fall, you know, but it's got such big consequences in terms of his points again. Um, and, you know, what's the gap now? 72, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's a lot. He obviously can't afford any more mistakes. In a way, you know, maybe it means now he just he just rides. You know, forget about the championship, just race by race, you know, different approach. Don't don't count the points, let's say. And, and maybe that will pay dividends in itself. You know, maybe maybe he was putting a lot of pressure on himself to, to claw back points and, and seeing a Ducati leading the race as well, you know, maybe wouldn't have, wouldn't have helped as... Uh, you know, in terms of settling, it would have made him think, well, the bike's winning, you know, leading the race with a rookie. So maybe I can go quicker. Um, but clearly he was over the limit that corner. He was trying to say with Quattararo and obviously the Yamaha corner is a lot better than the Ducati. And, you know, maybe maybe that was if there was a mistake, that was it, that, that he was just a bit quick there because he was trying to stay close to Quattararo in the twisty bits so that he could get by him on the other parts. But all credit to Quattararo to finish, as Keith says, to finish third, you know, at this track against these much faster bikes. I mean, it, it was as good as a win, you know, for him, really. Well, tell you what, there were a couple well, of sorry, interesting Keith, guys that raced really well uh, this weekend. I thought that, you know, you've got Alex Marquez, Takaki Nakagami, that was looking quite good as well. You know, uh, Mark Marquez hit everything except the pace car during the course of um, the weekend, really. I mean, uh, he obviously got Alexis um, Barbaro was not about happy Alexis with him. Barbaro. <laughs> him and Aleish came together. Yeah, exactly. in that yeah, yeah. yeah, the first turn, you know, Aleish is justified in being slightly grumpy with Mark because that really was Mark just being forceful. But the second time, he got helped into Alicia Spargo. Not that Alicia would have realised it at the time. <laughs> he wouldn't have realised why Mark suddenly rammed him from the side. Someone had 
basically stuck it straight under Mark to put him into him as well. But really messy weekend for, for Mark Marquez, I thought, this weekend. I mean, he really is not back as Mark Marquez yet, is he? He's, he's really not quite... Um, he and his brother finished, I think, line of stern, didn't they? Alex was right on it as well. But um, Honda was looking quite good in early free practice. I, I thought we were in for... I thought the Honda might actually be working this weekend, but slowly but surely it's, uh, it all fell away. It's quite interesting that Ducati were obviously working towards their race pace during the early sessions um, because they really weren't where I thought they would be and the Honda were further up than I thought they would be. And then all of a sudden we got to the race and it all kind of worked its way through, didn't it? And the Ducatis were looking very quick again. Um, but Mark Marquez, apart from his aggression, which he's going to be getting, like he did back in the Moto3, Moto2 days, he's going to be getting his wrist wrapped soon. Um, I can see a penalty coming Mark's way for some of these uh, pushing and shovings. He might have got away with it when he was Mr. Superstar, but right now he's sort of midfield and, and banging and barging with his elbows out and... He's not going to adhere himself to um, some of the riders around him if he carries on the way he's going, that's for sure. Mm, it was, I mean, all action packed, Pete, wasn't it? It was, Harry, yeah. I mean, just on what Alaysha's reaction to those, to those sort of incidents were, he actually said, look, it's not Mark's fault. Mark rides how he rides. He said it, it's up to the stewards to, to sort of draw the line, if you like. And, and Alaysha isn't happy generally that he feels that that the stewards wait for wait for an accident before they punish, and that they you know rather than maybe put a halt to such behaviour, if you like, earlier, he thinks that you know if if no one falls off, you don't you don't see any punishments. And his point is that you know he was pushed back where I think he was seventeenth place after that contact, wasn't he? It pretty much ruined his race. And okay, he didn't fall off, but to be honest, if he'd have fallen off and remounted, he wouldn't have been much further back, would he? Um, so that was that was sort of his gripe, if you like. It was that you know that the sport should kind of even if riders are not on the floor, they should still say, look, that was that was beyond the limit. Now, you know, there's always going to be contact in motorcycle racing. We wouldn't want to see penalties you know, every time riders made contact, there was contact on the last up the Moto Three race. You wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't dream of punishing either rider for that. They were just doing hard racing. You, you know, when the other rider does suffer to to that extent, loses several seconds, drops all the way back, you can maybe see the argument for perhaps some sort of official warning. I don't know where, you know, race direction or the stewards might say, look, you know, if you do that again, even if the other rider doesn't fall, you know, you're going to get a penalty. I don't know, but it, it's a difficult one, isn't it? First corner bunching. At the end of the day, they're motorbike racers. Uh, I won't. I won't say rubbing is racing because we're not in cars. But the, the the fact of the matter is, is there a fair bit of rubbing that goes on on that? And it was a scruffy opening couple of laps, wasn't it? I mean, everybody was pushing and shoving. It's a bit like well, they had five weeks off. All that adrenaline stored, ready to go. It was like sort of bang. Let's have some of this. Um, so you can kind of understand it in a lot of ways. I would be disappointed personally if. You know, a bit of first corner bunching, particularly at that corner. We've had it so many times before, you know, and there's loads of runoff. So everyone takes liberties with that first corner. You know, they do run a little bit hotter into there. And of course, like every racetrack, the first time you arrive at turn one at that pace in that gear is when you do a start. There's no practice start along that front straight for practicing getting to that first corner. So your first time you break for the first corner is the first time you break for that corner from that starting position. So therefore, there's all a bit of sort of 
you know, anybody who takes it a little bit easy going into there is going to find themselves swamped by four, five, six motorbikes. So you have got to go in there almost a little bit too hot. You know, safety is, is an issue, but a bit of rubbing into turn one on the first lap or two, pretty normal, really. Everybody's just settling down to it. But uh, I don't know. Mark, Mark has a reputation. If you go back over the years, there's a lot of riders that, um, that, that used to get a bit of a telling off of being a, a little bit over zealous should we say and i mean i've seen mark marquez take people's braking line you know in other words when you're moving in front of them then immediately moving over to the line and moving them onto the white line or the rumble strips you know mark has had a few dirty tendencies in his aspiration to where he is now you know he is he's a hugely fast motorcycle racer but right now he's trying to bang a square peg in a round hole whether that's physically or whether that's the honda um, but the combination of the two are not where they need to be to, to bring back Mark Marquez as uh, previous before his crash. A bit, a bit further on the Aprilia, of course, Salvador unfortunately has a fractured ankle and he's going to have surgery, so he, he will be out of this next weekend. You know, one of the questions that Alasia was asked was, yeah, might we see Dovi alongside you next weekend? I imagine that. I don't think it's going to happen, but... Who knows? It's anyway, officially, Savadori will not be riding. Obviously, he's going to aim for Silverstone, but unfortunately, yeah, fractured fractured ankle for him. Lovely to see Dovi a track like uh, Red Bull Ring as well. When we've had such classic endings with Dovi there, it's um. But again, it will be a bit like Cal Crutchlow. You know, you can't bring a bloke back and dump him right in the midst of this melee as it is at the moment. You know, and Dovi's too smart for that, and he doesn't have a contact they put, with them they anyway. Put anyone so they can't force him. I, I, I think you don't have to do the, the right. for the first race. I, I think you don't have to. If, if Salvadori was to miss a second race, I think you do. Then they would. Mm. Okay. Well, uh, we'll keep abreast of all that action. Now, the one man we haven't really properly talked about uh, is our race winner, Jorge Martin, who went on to not only take his first win, but as you said, Keith Lee, right at the uh, Keith right at the start, um, the first ever for a satellite Ducati rider as well. In only his sixth race having missed four due to injury. So talk about a comeback from injury as well. It was a, a brilliant drive from him. We know, we know we saw at the start of the season how fast he is. That huge injury that he got in at Portimao to come back from that as well with the help of the summer break. Uh, it really was a masterful drive from him, but it, it wasn't completely straightforward, especially with that red flag. It's called a ride. Harry, <laughs> not drive. <laughs> Should I redo that whole bit and say ride? <laughs> Leave me alone. You teased, so me, a easy to do both. You teased me a bit earlier on, so you can have some back. <laughs> right. What a masterful ride that was. <laughs> it really was. A great recovery, Harry, if I may say uh, so. Thank you. Um, Jorge Martin, he's been a world champion before, and the masterful ride was um, because when you're a world champion, you know how to lead a race. You know how to pace yourself if you've got the deal, if you've got the bike, if you've got everything you need. Um, and Jorge Martin was superb. The, the, the five-week break played into his hands, really, didn't it? Because his injuries were mega painful. They were big injuries that he took. And, that could have been a career-ending crash. That could have been him limping through the rest of this year and finding himself dropping down the pecking order of, of KTM. Um, but now, huh, he's right on everybody's lips. His stock value has gone through the sky. And, and despite what I said earlier on in this conversation, you could actually see him do it again next weekend. 
he he looked so quite classy that you, you you could actually see him finding a little bit more than the bike. He looked like everything was easy. There was nothing. He wasn't sticking it sideways. He wasn't running wide anywhere. Mm. He was absolutely hitting his mark perfectly. A remarkable ride from pole position. I mean, he didn't quite get the start in the first part before they red flagged it. Uh, but the second part, he got absolutely bang on. And um, Jorge Martin, I mean, his pace was just superb. It really was. Disappointing for me that from Zarco as well. Not just because I chose him for a race win last week, but um, but because he chose a soft tyre. And I know he does that quite often, but I just couldn't see that working over 27 laps. So tyre choice two was was something that you needed to get about right, I think, with, with this racetrack. Uh, but Jorge Martin, you could not get it more perfect than he got it. Controlled it from the front. Well, I mean, Pete, that was something I think we picked up on post-race. Martin said, you know, something crucial to actually winning was was the tyre change in that red flag period. And also the way he handled the tyres. Now, Fabio Cotteraro was asked, and, and Joan Mia, you know, what, what do you think of Martin? And, and Fabio, in fairness, quite openly said, look, Unlike me in 2019, he's he's really knowing how to use these tires, not burning through them, you know, saving the tires. He could see when he was following him that, hang on, he, you know, this guy is he's not just going quick. He's thinking what he's doing and he's he's really looking after everything and thinking about the race distance, not just about the lap time. And he said that's what was he, he used the word strange. You know, he said that's what's strange. But, it, you know, he meant it as a compliment that 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 Martin is is. He's shown he's got the speed. Obviously, we saw the pole position in Qatar, but now he's showing that he can, you know, soak up the pressure, as Keith says. You know, Mia was was within striking distance for most of the race, and yet he didn't put a, a, a wheel wrong. Uh, and now you can imagine his confidence must be sky high going into next weekend. So, you know, as Keith said, also, you know, first ever satellite Ducati winner. I think he's only the fifth rookie to win a race um, since the MotoGP era. Joining people like Marquez, Lorenzo, Pedroza, Binder. Well, I, yeah, I saw. I think I saw that stat. I've got it here. Riders to win one of their first six MotoGP races in a four-stroke era: Pedrosa, Lorenzo, Mark Marquez, Brad Binder, and now Martin. It's not a bad list. And he's and he's the only one of them that's done it with the satellite team, as well. So you know, it is you know. Congratulations to Pramac. They've been waiting a long time for this, you know, this victory as well. Fair, fair play to them. You, you, there's some people that might count the Honda wins that Tamada had. They were sort of under the Pramac banner, but this is really with their whole own team, if you like, and, and, and with Ducati that they've been with for so long. So it's really well deserved by all of those guys and, and, and a great result. And yeah, what a, what a star Martin is proving to be. And remember, Martin was, he was in that KTM structure and Ducati were able to get their hands on him. So this is, you can understand again from KTM side why they are so worried about, you know, keeping hold of Fernandez because they've seen guys like Martin being pulled away at the last minute in at Ducati winning in the sixth race. Mm. Tell you what, the old red ball ring is pretty good for um, certain teams that haven't won in decades. Hervé Poncheral taking that win. Now we've got Pramac taking that win. I mean, it's, it's fantastic stuff. I mean, Pramac next to Tech 3. I mean, Tech 3, I've I love all the guys at Tech 3. It's a great race team. It's a, it's a bit of a 1980s race team that's in the modern era. So you can imagine why I quite like it. It's, uh, it's got a relaxed feel to it. Guy Coulon is slightly mad with his hair everywhere. And Hervé Poncheral is, is there any more, anybody more French than Hervé? I don't know. I haven't met anybody more French than Hervé. And just a lovely team. And then you've got Premac, 
Guidotti and Campinotti, you know, like, honestly, the whole thing there is just so incredibly Italian and quite mad. You know, their Friday night karaoke dinners are just, just fantastic. I mean, there they are. Everyone in there is, is on the karaoke. I mean, everybody from the top men in the team, and they're all singing away over dinner. And you just, and you're sitting there thinking, please don't ask me to do it. Please don't ask me to sing. <laughs> Oh dear! Great, great, great team, and fantastic that they take that uh, that win. You're right, though; it's they have had wins before, but in the MotoGP era, um, they will be enjoying that. <laughs> in fact, what was the um, what was the quote from Jorge Martin when asked if he would be celebrating? It was just wonderful how he said, "You can be sure I will." <laughs> but he's only got a couple of days to get over it. Yeah, <laughs> he can't he can't go too hard. Uh, but it was uh, fantastic to see to see him and them on the top step of the podium. And at the end of all of that, Quartararo still does lead the championship with that damage limitation. 40 points now, the gap, to Joan Zarco, who coincidentally has been, well, the leading Pramat, but, but faded away in those, in those last couple of laps. Was there a, reason, a particular reason for that? Would have been tyre, almost certainly. I think the soft rear tyre would not have been the one. I, I don't know. I, he obviously likes the feel of it, and he is a man who could run a softer tyre than, than most, it seems, because he is incredibly smooth. If it had been wet, Zarco would have been there or thereabout, not because of the tyre he got on, but I just feel that the track condition might have suited him slightly better. But in the drive of that soft rear tyre, you can be sure the last four or five laps are going to be like purgatory. You're not going to be able to get on the throttle. Mm. You know, everything's going to be, you know, banging in there electronically. It would, it's just horrible the last few laps if you've got no tyre left. And I, you know, we got Zap, you were talking about Binder, Binder completely opposite. You know, that last lap that Binder, we picked up two places from sixth to fourth. And Binder is just the man for that job. You know, you know, if he's strong, he's going to ram it up the inside. That is for sure. The South African is a tough, tough cookie when it comes to making a pass. And he must have thought it was Christmas. Two places in the last last lap. Fantastic stuff from Binder. And Zarko being one of the men that um, that it cost. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit disappointed, actually, with, with the way that um, Zarko's performance turned out in the end. He looked like he was going to be there or thereabouts. He was shadowing him for the first third, and then it just... And the only thing I can put it down to is time. There's always a worry, too, at that track, whether you've got fuel mapping right. You know, you've got to be so careful of running out of fuel. Having a 27-lap race is a lot better than having a 28-lap race for, for many of them because um, they're, they're close to running out of fuel if you've, got full, you know, if you've mapped it slightly, um, slightly rich. Um, so that's always something to look out for. No doubt they'll be looking at that again for next weekend. One of the other little details that they can work on, you know, can we give it a bit more, bit more power? in places because we've got more fuel than we thought we had or have we got less fuel than we thought we had you know these are things that are going on right now as we're talking uh, in yeah. the debrief you know your techs are going to be looking at everything and working out where the benefits are for next week well, there is so so much to uh, to digest but it was jorge martin who took the win of course from mir and quarteraro in third so uh, that was just the moto gp uh, i'm going to move on if i may be so bold to moto 2 first up and it was marco bazzetti who returned to winning ways took his first win of the season in uh it was a bit tougher conditions for the moto two and the moto three guys because the track was steadily drying out wasn't it uh but bezecchi off to a Bezecchi, i should say also a great start uh to lead early on but remy garden was there giving him a lot of pressure at the, at the start when you're chasing a track and i mean by that whether it's 
whether it's getting wet and you're chasing it as it gets wetter or you're chasing it when it's getting drier really really difficult because you are having to increase your pace as it dries out the line when you're on a, on a racing motorcycle as well you're right down to your eye level can't see damp patches you know it's only when you go offline all of a sudden you it starts to wander towards the darker stuff really really tricky conditions in those circumstances so chasing a drying track Buzeki got it bang on dead right Remy Gardner you get kind of get the feeling that Gardner had um, he pretty much got it sorted at one point but then discretion being the better part of valor and I think that's the new that's the Remy Gardner I'm loving at the moment he's really working everything out you know he he's doing what you do to win a world title um, and he ain't going to make a mistake by giving 25 points to anybody um, in one go. He's going to be there or thereabouts, I think, all the time. I love the way he's doing his job at the moment. Uh, but, but please for Bezeki, the first win of the year. That's, um, but I don't think he's going to be a, a major threat for the rest of the year. I think it's still going to be the Gardner that's uh, doing the business. But, Pete, Gardner did have a little bit of an error and a mistake. Ran wide into the gravel. It cost him a couple of positions. He was still able to bring it back in fifth. But, Gardner, you know, was was under it because at one point there was a, a, a four-way battle when they split off to two and two right at the top. Ayagur and the Aaron Canet, you know, everybody was there and Gardner actually was the one who made the biggest mistake. Yeah, it, it was a rare sort of off day for the, for the AO team, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, we've seen them dominate and, and this was where it sort of didn't happen, did it? But, you know, some people speculating with, with Fernandez was it maybe all this talk about MotoGP. And then, as you say, Remy's got that pressure of I'm the title leader. You know, you know, those are the, that's the everything to lose situation, isn't it? In those, in those tricky, tricky conditions. So, you know, as you say, you saw he, he seemed content to maybe follow the other riders a bit at the start, which, you know, great idea in those conditions to just judge how quick to go because you don't want to be the guy up front that pushes too hard, falls down, and then, oh, yeah. That was the limit. So, yeah, I, I think it was just difficult situation, difficult conditions for, 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 for any title leader, you, you know, in that situation where it's it's mixed conditions, it's greasy, you don't know what the grip level is going to be. So to come away with solid points, I think it's, it's you know, it was far from a, a disaster for him. And, and, and from, on Pazeki's side, perfect timing. I mean, the, you know, the guy now is being linked with MotoGP already because... Rossi is not going to be taking the BR46 seat, but Bezeki's also being linked with the Patronus Yamaha seat as well. So absolutely perfect time to win his first race of the year. Just when all these talks are going on, it's a strange situation for the VR46 team because they manage the academy riders such as Bezeki so that they're doing negotiations for them with other teams. And then they're also sort of considering, well, do we have him in our own team? So it, it's... Um, perfect time for him you've got to imagine now that he will be in MotoGP next year in one seat or another joining uh, joining Remy Gardner and Ralph Fernandez. Rookie Ayagura looked impressive this weekend as well didn't he he's suddenly come of age at the Red Bull ring it's funny this racetrack just produces that little extra doesn't it sometimes you see people do stuff that you hadn't quite seen before Ayagura through qualifying looked just superb so I think we've got a lot to watch out for him as well now as the second half comes on. So maybe one for the future again in Moto2. Another one. Well, we spoke about it last week, didn't it? This uh, consistent amount of talent that we have coming up through the ranks as well. It's just, you know, and then people coming. That was Igor's best result to date, I believe, even with a long lap penalty that he got as well. Um, just on uh, fourth place man in the championship too, Sam Lowe's. Uh, much of the race in fifth. 
but ran wide. Looked like he was just struggling to keep that that bike on the road at times. Finished down in 14th, so not brilliant for him, but still still holding on uh, in fourth in the championship at the moment. I think that kind of underlines the Remy Gardner, Sam Lowe's experience. You know, in these conditions, it can go just that little bit wrong, and you, you're having to rescue the plot. It, I don't think I don't think it's indicative, to be honest with you. I mean, Sam. I won't say he's struggling because he, I don't think he is. I just think he's he's sort of aiming for that. He needs to get that that flow back, that rhythm back throughout the year. He needs to just keep keep at it. He knows what he's got to do. He's experienced enough for that. You know, I'm I'm just waiting for him to get back on that that plateau, that plane of of consistent results again. I mean, in those conditions, the tiniest of mistake make you pay. I mean, we talked about Remy just you know making it into the gravel trap. You know. That's when you're being reasonably cautious by his standards, perhaps. It's a real knife edge that they're all on at the moment. Yeah, consistently uh, on a knife edge. Well, at the end of all of that, the Moto2, Remy Gardner is obviously still the uh, championship leader. The gap, 35 points uh, to Raul Fernandez at the moment, if my maths is correct. I hope it is. Um, so that is uh, still all to play for, I would suggest, but it does look like... Uh, Certainly, Remy Gardner has the lead on that. Moto3 now, moving on. Um, once again, <laughs> always fails to entertain, or never fails to entertain, I should say. Uh, Pedro Acosta and uh, Garcia as well. A race-long battle in, again, an even worse track conditions, actually. You know, much wetter, especially offline. Um, constantly overtaking each other. And right at the very end, with Garcia going off into the into the gravel in that fine, <laughs> final corner bikes on the floor but they those two had so much pace over third place man that he was still able to get up on his bike and come across the line second which i think a lot of people were quite relieved of because he he didn't deserve to have a non-score and and a sublime drive once again from pedro costa ride 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 a sublime ride (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna go to a sleep saying it now aren't you you're gonna get back to a car commentary and you're gonna be saying ride (laughs) riders are on the grid your uh, formula two (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna have to write it in big letters in front of me (laughs) acosta was superb i thought he was weighing up garcia all the time he looked the most calm of the two it was a great war of attrition between the two of them i'm glad garcia managed to get back on he deserves second place if not the win um so to, to, i mean to be able to crash in a race and still get back on and finish second is pretty remarkable but acosta he just looks like the real deal i mean i'm sure there have been people who said it before but i mean he does look a bit like a he looks like mark marquez on a motorbike the way he weighs stuff up but without the aggressive he is aggressive, but it's almost more accurate. He just seems to be able to make moves that you think, well, you could see it coming, but wonder how he did it. And he, I think he's a remarkable rider, Acosta. I mean, I'm hoping he goes the full distance, but I've watched him. It's, it's rare, you know, when, when you, you have tight time scales like uh, most of us do, and uh, to go back over a, over a race. And I find myself going back to the Moto3 race and watching his again. Thinking, how did he do that? And you know what? What makes him that little bit better? And that's again, it's it's about those fine details. And he seems to have, you know, a twenty-four-year-old racer's head on a seventeen-year-old body. He just seems to have it so well worked out. And I never thought for a minute Garcia was going to beat him. That's just the kind of aura that the the kid has managed to build up around him. And 
sure enough, Garcia, I mean, they never touched. I mean, Garcia was a little wide and there was a little damp patch there. But Acosta had got it done. He, he got he got him beat on that last lap. And then, of course, uh, just that little bit of a bobble at the front end. And, and I think he just really got on a, a very slight damp part of the track uh, on the on the outside of the corner. And that, that took him down. But luckily, he was able to re- remount and get back onto second. Thank mm. For his team, the look on their faces—they thought that that was it. You know, it was horror, <laughs> and then it must have been elation when he came across the track to get twenty points. Some some sort of redemption, and but of course it was Pedro Acosta's fifth win of his rookie season, Pete, as well. Now leading the championship by fifty-three points. Uh, I, there's just no stopping him, and. and he he also strategy was involved as well, isn't it? Because we saw a couple of the other riders make gambles with slick tires that didn't pay off. Exactly, yeah. He played it safe with the tire choice, we say, which he would as the title leader. But as Keith said, it's it's almost the Mark Marquez approach to winning a world championship, which is you go for the wins. I mean, there'd be a lot of people with with that points lead, as you say, this big points lead already that would have said. Just settle for second, you know, just play it safe, bring it home. But you could see from pretty much early on, he was just sizing up Garcia. You know, he fully intended to do just as Mark Marquez would have. And we've seen many times in MotoGP, you know, go for the attack, go for the win. And uh, and he executed it perfectly, as Keith said, you know, it, it didn't look in any way out of control or anything else. And yeah, another sort of textbook ride from him. And uh, yeah, as Exactly. Garcia deserved to get back on the bike and finish second. And, and to have that sort of advantage, 10 seconds or whatever it was over the field, it just shows how well those two were riding. It certainly did. Well, uh, another thrilling uh, Moto3 race as well. The time has come, gents, though. We're going to go back to our MotoGP uh, predictions, uh, if I may, because we haven't got long to wait until the next one. And I know we could talk about this for about three hours long but uh, i do have to i do have to keep it on track at some stage so i'm going to move it to predictions now just a reminder of what we did last week so pete went for miller which was looking good until he binned it uh keith you gave us your top three which was zarco then miller and quarteraro and as you said you did get quarteraro correct but i'm not giving you any points and i actually went for miguel <laughs> Oliveira, so that didn't really pay off at all all weekend um so who are we going for again this time keith you can start us off this time because Pete went first last time. Mia. Mia. I'm going to have a Suzuki win. And that really wouldn't happen, you wouldn't think, at the Red Bull Ring. But I'm confident that they, they've got that shapeshifter to work first time out, bang. And by the time they get everything else sorted out during the course of their data downloads and their look through this week, I've got a feeling Mia could go for the win next week. But it, the thing is with the Red Bull Ring, it's, it's all down to the weather as well. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, just the one entry for this week. You've learned your lesson. Oh no, I'll go for the full uh, three if you like. I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> go on, you could you could do a full three, and as and if you get the full three, then you get the point as well. You get and then you get an extra point. Well, do you know what, Jorge Martin? Going back to what we said, he could win back to back. He looks so good. You know, I I was it was in my mind what to go. I I think I'm going to go for a Jorge Martin um, second place okay. this time. Um, and I'm going for a Miller third. Okay. I'm going to knock Quattararo off my podium. Goodbye, Quattararo. All right, then. Should we Should we all do a top three? It's just a giggle, isn't it? Yeah. You're not giving points for it, otherwise I'd have got one for this week. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? No, we'll leave it as your thing, because I'm going to go for one. I'm going to go next, Pete, because... Um, 
that's that's only fair. Uh, I'm going to go for <laughs> Zarko. I'm going to put Zarko. I think he's going to have learnt from what his teammate has done. And also, he's consistently up there anyway. Uh, and I think Zarko, it's also Austria. You know, anything can happen, as we said. Zarko is my pick for the win. Pete, who's that left you with? Uh, Jorge Martin. You know, I think that it, the the confidence he'll get from this win, I think it'll be interesting to see how much it changes him. It's certainly not going to make him any slower. Um, he has got the disadvantage, as Keith says, he's not in the factory team and maybe you expect that you know, the factories have more data and everything else. But still, I think the way that he rode, he's now a, a MotoGP winner, so I think he can do it again. All right then. So, to double confirm, Keith, you've gone for Mir as your win and then Martin and Miller, second and third. And then my winner is Zarko and uh, Pete, you've also gone for Jorge Martin as well. So, uh, well, we haven't got long to wait once again because we'll be back in Austria in, a, well, only a couple of days anyway. So, uh, dear listener, well over an hour of uh, podcast coming your way or that you've just got through. So hope you've enjoyed it as well. We shall be back with you for the next one after the Austrian uh, Grand Prix as well. But stay up to date on the very latest. In the meantime, it's all on Crash.net. Any questions as well? I'm sure there'll be a lot after a double header, uh, which we will get stuck into next week. Send them in all the usual ways. Comment section on YouTube, tweet, Instagram or Facebook us. Uh, just search Crash MotoGP and uh, it'll all do the rest for you. And make sure you leave us a review if you can, wherever you get your podcasts as well. And we shall see you right back here next week from myself, Keith and Pete. Bye-bye. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.